We were so ready to come home. Uh, it, it was, I, I really just want to say that I appreciate you all as a church allowing us to, to take time when we need it. Because we, we do need it. I need it desperately. Um, and I really am grateful that you guys understand that and uh, support that. Hope that doesn't change. Um, I read three books while I was gone. So couple subjects one of them of course sanctification was one just in just in itself it was a little quick read and and then uh I read one over the sabbath and uh, I'm not preaching over the sabbath today but I think it it will correlate as we go through um most of the time you, you don't hear much about the sabbath in the sense that uh it's something that we should uh, desire to honor. I mean, it used to be in vogue. It's it's fallen out of vogue a lot. I just want to read a couple of statements, just to kind of tease you a little with uh, what will be an upcoming emphasis in preaching sometime soon. But uh, it's 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 this. Now I will say before I start that of the Ten Commandments, which we call the moral law of God, right? There's only one of them that talks about remembering, and that's the one that talks about remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. It's the only one of the ten. We are told to remember specifically. To hallow that day. I'm reading a little book here by Walter Shantry. Called The Sabbath of Delight. He writes. An emphasis is placed on the difference between the Sabbath and other days. Not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words. On the other six days, we may arise in the morning and think, what shall I plan to do today? What would I like to accomplish? What things would I like to discuss with my family and fellow workers today? On the Sabbath, we must think, this is the Lord's holy day. That's clearly the emphasis. I will talk of His greatness and His thoughts. I will do His will today. It is when the outlook dominates your spirit on the Sabbath that you will know the joy of the Lord, triumphant, living, and feasting on the best things. Now, I'm just parted into the book here to give you a little bit of some idea of how to to think about what we call today. We don't call it the Sabbath, really. We call today Sunday, but we also refer to it as the Lord's Day. And there was a switch from the Jewish, what was it, sundown Friday to, to to Saturday, right? And then suddenly, but Jesus was raised on, on the, the, uh, the, seventh, the seventh day, on Sunday. So we, we call that the Lord's Day. The church met on the Lord's Day. We're, we, are, we are remembering and keeping the Sabbath right now, right? Because Jesus is our, is our Sabbath rest. But as we've gotten into 2022, here's kind of more of the picture that he writes that would probably best illustrate where we have come when i say we i mean when i say we you got to know something i'm talking about the western nations that were once the bastion of great christian thought and preaching try this and see if this sounds familiar um and this is an attitude of indifference towards the lord's day signs of the same ugly attitude are legion in western society Sunday is filled with professional and amateur sports. It is a day of bustling markets, crowded highways, camping, hiking, partying. It has been put to every common use. 
But the root of all things which appear on the surface is the worst crime of all. The Sabbath is trampled by self-centered, man-centered activities because it is considered of no special worth. It's just become another day. The lone special or the lone social institution which remains uncrowded is the house of prayer. Worship of God and service to God are not specially valued. Hence, the Lord's holy day has fallen into dishonor. The Sabbath is is thought good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Trampling his special days argues a lack of the love for the Lord. You say, why in the world are you sharing that? Because when we were... When, when I drive anywhere now and I go through these small towns, you can see that the old churches, genuinely speaking, you can, you can see them. And uh, out on the Pacific Coast Highway and some of those places, you go through some of these towns and then we headed back up towards Tillamook and we went through towns that have strange names. And um, there are these, these old churches, empty, boarded up. One specifically was literally like a hoarder had moved in there. I mean, it was crowded over up. You could see junk just full. But then I got to really paying attention. Now, I could see a a few, a few modern Christian churches around. Very few, very few out there. But mostly what I saw was shuttered church buildings or what was once church buildings that had been converted into cafe or you know an office space or or whatever that same irony holds in 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 wales as you know that the 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 uh, nation of wales is known as the land of revival more revivals have ever happened in wales than in any other nation in the world sec we are second actually only to wales america is they had so many revivals for so long that the the land became populated with church buildings because they were trying to they had a problem when when revival broke out they didn't have enough room to put everybody in it became unsafe and they built new and now they are largely boarded up sold off for bed and breakfasts and things of that nature so one of the things i was reading in the book is one of the first one of the first things that goes out of a nation's conscience consciousness when it drifts away from god because it doesn't happen just overnight was and i believe it's true if you want to look for an epicenter of drift if you will it was from the lord's day you begin to do your will on the lord's day you stopped remembering you didn't have one day in seven to stop and say the lord is god he is great i get my sustenance from him i will focus on him and his word i will make sure that this day is given solely to him now how that's fleshed out is is a whole different deal but the point is of the ten commandments and the moral law of god that one was the one that said remember it it's a perpetual thing and when that stops happening what are you soon to do what's the opposite of remember you you forget that's right so what we're doing here right now gathered as as the body of christ though some of you may not be born again but I can tell you, if you're here, obviously God is, is doing a work of, of renewing in you. But I can tell you right here, right now, this is really an abnormal thing 
in 2022, when you consider all of Western civilization, is a very abnormal thing. That's why we have red states and blue states and all that kind of stuff, but churches are not populated like they were. And the Sabbath has become another day, one in seven, where typically I can do what I want to do. What was it back in when I was much younger? Cindy, Cindy Lauper had a song. Just another manic Monday. I wish it were Sunday. That's my fun day. I can't remember that. I hated that song even then. I did, like, I hate this stupid song. I hate this song. I don't know why this lady says this. But, but I remember, it's just another manic Monday. I wish it were Sunday. That's my fun day. No. And that was back in 1984. I don't know. Back in the old days when we dress in we have costumes now from those days. So that's what I know. So I, I guess I just wanted to share that with you as one of the books I read to get you to thinking about how do you spend the Lord's day? Do you remember it to keep it holy? And then, of course, that begs the question, how do we keep it? How do, how do we keep it holy? Well, that's not for today. It's just a teaser. Um, I'm going to impress Kim McHenry and finish First John. <laughs> they all have their doubts. He'll never make it through a book. He just can't. He's in, it's, it's impossible. But I'm going to. But I think it goes with the theme. We came off a time of, of prayer and fasting for revival and awakening to occur in our land because we know we are at the threshold of self-destruction nationally. And in the church itself, due to things that I have had shared with me, New movements that are ha- happening among young evangelicals today is just a, a more evidence of a great drift away from our hope in Christ alone and the centrality of the Word of God alone. That Jesus, Jesus the Word of God should be enough. You should never go to choose a church based on what music they have. It's great if they do. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. There's not a lot of musicians around anymore these days. But I will tell you this, you can always determine if you're going to go attend a church by the way the Word of God is fielded, by the way it is preached, and by the way it is honored. If you don't find that, you need to find another church. But that has to be your litmus test. And if they have great music, then great. But then, of course, that gets into a subject of worship, which goes back to the Word of God, in which case then we could have great issues with how we determine if something's great worship. Right, JT? That's right. I want to talk about today about having boldness in judgment. So we all know about Judgment Day, and we know it's coming. So we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. And I'm going to go ahead and go through chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, simply because uh, it kind of stretches two thoughts here, and I want to complete the one before I start the other. So let's, uh, let's read the Word of God in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Uh, beginning in verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, if you're not careful, you'll miss the emphasis. Right there it is. Love, we're talking about love, but it's been perfected that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And then there's a, there's a, a clause here. Because, this is the reason, this is the condition. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You have to stop there 
and see the grandeur of that statement. What a promise. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved loved us. And now these two statements are all captured under the idea because we know there's a judgment coming. But we're loved. We shouldn't fear. Well, he goes on down in verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, for example, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now, John has already spoken about love in the previous verses of the chapters here, back to chapter 3, and he's reiterating it here again. Whoever believes that Jesus, is, that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who be who, him who, let me start over. Whoever believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him, and by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now he's putting a condition on loving God. You say you love God, but do you love his children? In other words, do you love his church? Because if you don't love God because you don't love his children, you, you don't have any boldness in the day of judgment. It's coming back to that. And then he says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God, it overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I think we all can understand from chapter 3, if you remember and you go back, that if you're truly born again of the nature of Christ, then you're going to have a nature that loves what Christ loves. The problem is we still have our old nature kind of in there, <laughs> right? And so we sin. Does anyone sin? I do. I try not to, but it's an ongoing battle. I think, I think Jesus and you should too, that he doesn't leave you in your worst moments, nor does he define you by your worst failure, but he, he sees you and defines you by who he is, which we'll get back up into four, verse 17. But the point is, if you truly have emanating from your life a living faith in Jesus Christ because you believe him, right? You, you believe him. Then you're going to have a love for God, you're going to have a love for his people. That doesn't mean it's going to be gooey and ushy and squishy. When I think of, I mean, there are some of you, some of you ladies here that are just, you just ooze love. You are uh, buttercream frosting, okay? You just ooze love. And, 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 and so many times the tendency is to think, well, so from, if, from a masculine point of view, you want me to love? Well, that's what I think of. I'm just not going to do, I can't, ugh, I can't do that. I can't be that. But then, you know, not everyone's like that. Some of you love from afar, you know. Say, who's that brother in the corner? Oh, that's Chuck. What's wrong with Chuck? No, nothing. He, got a, he loves you. He just doesn't want to be near you. 
<laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's good over there. <laughs> He'll do anything for you. But it's got to happen first. Okay. But some of you. So we're all very different. But should there be an evidentiary love for what God loves if we claim that we love God? Shouldn't there be? Preeminently, there should be a love for the word of God, right? Preeminently, we should be. We should be driven to it. And, and okay, say, well, <laughs> well, right now I must not be loving God much because I'm not driven to it much. Well, let me give you some good news and some bad news. The bad news is, the bad news is you're, you're not right. But the good news is God knows it and he's bugging you about it because you're his kid. And he's calling you back every day, needling you. Some of I I hear sometimes people talk about their mamas, and and so these are older people now. They're still about their oldest mamas. You know, she still just gets on me about things. I'm like, man, it never stops. I guess, you know, because she's like 80 and you're 60, you still a kid, and she's telling you, you know. And, uh, and that's what, because they love you. Well, f- your heavenly father, if, you, if you're God's child, you're born after his spirit, he loves you. And if you're not partaking of the truth that, that encourages your soul, that informs your soul, that teaches your soul, if you don't have an appetite for it like you should have for it even, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit of God is going to be compelling you to partake. Because isn't that what parents do when their children are sick, when they don't want to eat? you got to eat something it's you got to eat if you don't i'm going to stand on your foot and shove it down your mouth but you're eating it's you're eating you know it gets like that sometimes and so god will do that so we have these evidences of the love of god and love for the brethren is another one look some of us are hard to like i'm one of those i'm 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 you either love me or hate me i think it's it's like that i'm not a neutral person jt says i'm very emotional but but he's not so there but okay but but we're different and we work well together but even in the marriage relationship rindy's vastly different than i am and i thank god for the wisdom that comes out of her mouth to me so many times because and then i in virtue can give give it back but i we we must love the brethren we must have a love for his church for his people when you drive by a shuttered church you ought to feel some sadness there should be no shuttered churches are you kidding me though it's only wood and shingles or stone at one time think of it this way sometime in the past that old dilapidated building was just in the heart of a few children of God in that area that said, Lord, there needs to be a visible witness here. And they begin to pray and they begin to seek God and they gathered other people around them and, and some people began to get saved and the church began to grow and they said, we, we could sure use with a, with a physical place to meet so that God's name could be lifted high in this place, in this town of, of you know, backwater USA. And they, and they built this humble little building and the word of God, the word of glory was there preached from a pulpit and people began to gather and listen. And for however long that history of that church went, people were listening and being saved and there were tears on the altar and families were being healed and put back together and 
the church members were gathering together not only there but outside and 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 this is where they met with God because they remembered the Sabbath day to keep it holy and then they went on and and they tried to raise their kids and do right and then suddenly something happened and an illness took in and now that box is left empty now it itself wasn't the church but at one time the church was there it should be sad when we see empty buildings for the God who made us being empty full of junk that someone bought so they could use it as a storage facility somebody forgot something somewhere Well, I'm going to go back up. I think we understand what John is meaning when he's talking about the evidences that should come from us desiring to keep the commandments of God and desiring to do what God is in his heart for us to do. We should love the things that please God and we should hate sin in our life. It should grieve us. Love, then because that's what our passage begins with today, is the signet of our perfection. The signet. You've heard of the signet ring, right? The king would have the signet ring and he would stamp that official letter that only a certain person could break it and open. That was the signet. It's official. Love is the signet of, of God's perfecting in us. It's the, it's, this is what makes us stand out. We should be identified by our love. Love for what? Well, first of all, love for God. Love for His truth. Verse 17, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, so are we in this world. When Jesus lived, He was a demonstration of the love of God manifested among us. I love John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I love how he goes on and he progresses. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God. But the word was manifest. Love was man- Perfect love was manifest, given, evident. But here's the thing. Do you realize that our complete standing before the Father is based on our love relationship with Christ? So let me tell you why this is important to understand. In John 4, 27, the Bible says, For the Father himself loves you, Jesus said this, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. So our complete standing before the Father is based on our love relationship with Christ. Don't say for a second, not even for a moment should you entertain or allow anyone else to postulate the the nefarious notion, even for a moment, that you can be right with God and skip Jesus. That is heresy, it's straight from hell, and all it will do is create a big head in you until you die and you'll see your, in, your, your injury. Christ gives us our complete standing before the Father. Christ alone, the hope of glory, right? Question then, there's always a question, do you, do you have a genuine love for Jesus, the Son of God, as revealed in the Bible because you believe in Him? Or, this is a big question, do you have a lesser Jesus 
one in which reflects more your idea of a Savior. Now, I worked on this a while, writing that out. You mean a lesser Jesus? Yeah, you know, one made in your image. How you think, oh, the way, the way you think Jesus ought to be. Yeah, lesser Jesus is anything less than who Jesus is. Okay. Uh, let me, John Snyder, remember the book, Behold Your God? We did a while back. Randy and I are doing that together. One of the greatest things we started new and is uh, we're, we're taking, going through a Bible study together. So that's, that's cool. And we're going through Behold Your God because to me it's one of the most preeminent Bible studies ever written for getting a biblical view of who God is. So many times we let mega churches fill that in or, or uh, very popular pastors, you know, that are, that are uh, famous, and so we let them decide what God's like. No, God decides what God's like, and it's in the book, okay? So here's what John was writing. I just picked it up and wrote it as it is. This week, you will be considering the significance of what you think of God, the significance you'll consider of what you think of God, not your official beliefs about this being, but your actual ideas of him your actual ideas of him. Here's one. God helps those who help him themselves. And many of us would say amen that are really drawn to Clint Eastwood and John Wayne and, you know, all that. I thank God it's not true. I think God helps us even when we don't help ourselves. Right? Because where would we be with a God who would only help us if we could just help ourselves. That kind of God is no God at all. That God doesn't exist, thank God. But that attitude and that mindset does exist among many of God's people. How do you think I know the phrase? Grew up hearing it. The true knowledge of God provided through the mighty labors of His Son is the great treasure of Christianity. However, even a believer can take this treasure for granted. We need a revolution, this is what John Cyrus writing, in how we think of God. Oh, also, let me just say, for those of you who may have grandparents that are clergy, that have been pastors and preachers, and in my case, he's a little young to think about it, but Never determine your view of God, even by a, a godly grandparent. Yes, be informed, but go to the Scripture. Go to the Bible. Let the Scripture inform you on who God is and what He expects. Because even in these earthen vessels, as much as Jesus can change us and, and work, you know, work in us and prune us, which is always happening, we still fail to really attain to a beautiful image this side of heaven. In seeking to know Him, we must guard against settling for a counterfeit Christianity that looks like the real thing, but is of no value. I've talked to several people over the years, many, in fact, who love to talk of God. They, they, revere the, they, they claim to revere the Bible. I say they claim. 
and, 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 they, and they understand the place of the church. But upon further analysis and speaking with them, it comes very clear. The God they speak of is not the same one that I talk about. Oh, and I'm not talking about cults here. I'm talking about people that I've met in the church. You see, to many, to some of them, these men I've talked to, God is a really good businessman. The best. And uh, he cares about the bottom line. You see, the hermeneutic, the her- interpretation that these men are using to view God is through their business experience. The Bible is simply the owner's manual, operating manual for the company. If you do these things, it works out, we should honor it. But that's, no, that's not the heart of the gospel. And then these men who are so committed to their church are committed to that building. And they'll fight tooth and nail and bring blood if necessary to defend those two by fours in that wall. But they don't know the heart of God that this place stands to represent the purpose of it. Jesus, taking on the Pharisees, said something that they really hated the purpose of the Sabbath. Oh, they kept it, didn't they? All their laws and their rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't even heal somebody on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, what? Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What? Because it's the heart of the law that matters to the heart of God. So is your God the real thing or do you have some kind of counterfeit? that you've erected in your mind. He goes on to say, and I like this part, and this is a heavy. Often, this ignorance of God demonstrates itself in idolatry, always will. Not the ugly and obvious idolatry of statues and shrines, but the subtle idolatry of refashioning the true God into an image that fits our lives. In other words, we may profess to know God, or to know the God of the Bible, but in fact, we know only a God of our imagination. This is, to me, one of the chief reasons why many of us stumble so much in relating to the Father. Because we maybe had a bad father. Or, 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 or someone we looked up to in such a way to venerate them so highly that they've informed our view indirectly to who the God of the Bible is. Here's something. Remember in the Dane Ortland study, God's heart is vastly different than what we seem to live out many times. What does full of loving kindness mean? I don't know much about words, but I know this. I think it means he's really full of loving kindness. Like full. So when I think of a bucket that's full, it means it's spilling over the top. You know, like if you ever want to go eat, uh, this is a trick. Sometimes if you take the chocolate chips and pour them in a little cup, and you say, well, I only have a little cup, because, you know, if you eat the whole bag, you get sick, but you have that little cup. Well, you you don't just cover the bottom. You fill it up till it's kind of overflowing and then you smash it a little and then it's official you're still doing good 
you know. But God is overflowing with, with, with loving, kind, loving kindness to us. So why do we treat him like he's a henchman looking for a reason to squash us? Where'd that come from? I don't know. God of our imagination. Question. And this is the question we ask again. I'm going to just, do we have a genuine love for Jesus, Son of God, because you believe, you really believe in Him? Because if we go back to our text, it says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of the judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. And He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He who loves Him, because He first loved us. Do we love Him? Do we believe Him? Or do you have a lesser Jesus that reflects more of your idea of a Savior? In John 14, 21, Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Now, let's just take that, that sentence out right there. Just pluck it out. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Which commandments? Well, the obvious answer is all of them. So let me go over some things with you. Typically, when we hear the word law or commandments, let's talk about law. Jesus talked about law a lot. Um, there's the moral law that we find in the Ten Commandments. Right? Then there to the Jewish nation was the civil law, you know, how they took care of murders and this and adulterers and all that kind of stuff. And then there was the ceremonial law. This was how, this is the thing you ought to offer when you do this, and, and this is how to be ceremonial, ceremonially clean. Well, Jesus came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. He's referring back here to his commandments. The moral law of God, is it exempt? So, the Ten Commandments, if you will. I've been learning about this a little bit. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you think that's one Jesus said to keep? I'm thinking so. And progressing on down, you know, not taking God's name in vain, remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, all the way into how we relate with each other, Honoring your father and mother, not being jealous of someone else's stuff. Those are all in the moral law of God. These are part two of his. Com so does that mean, well, so some would say, and I, I'll just finish it with this. Jesus fulfilled all that for me, so I don't have to. So you can murder now because Jesus is okay with it. I won't turn my back on you or taking you on a hunting trip either at all. Okay. Oh, so Jesus is our Sabbath, but you don't have to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Is that it? You can have other gods before him if Jesus filled it all and you don't have to? You mean you, you can want my stuff enough to knock me in the head with a brick and take it? Or hate me for it because I have it? You see, what I'm saying here is, is that Jesus said, if you love me, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. When we, when we do these things by the attitude of Christ in us, we demonstrate. We're just simply demonstrating. 
We're working out, if you will, what he's worked in, a living faith. And he goes on to say, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Who all wants Jesus to manifest themselves to them? Do you? I do. Yes. Yes, please. All the time, please. You know, there's a song, Better is One Day in Your Courts. Uh, than thousands, uh, probably it's probably from is a proverb or psalm or something but better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere right i want to be there so to have soul-saving belief in jesus is to have life-altering evidences both in the positive and in the negatives now what do you mean a negative influence of jesus now hang with me we're almost done this is important. We always talk about the very great positives of, of faith in Jesus. They're just so full of love and joy. They're just so annoying. You know, but, but they, they're, they're happy or, or, or they seem to be okay most of the time in, in stress. Uh, they don't get too worked up. That was not for me. But let's talk about the negatives. Because the truth of the matter is in a normal Christian life, we struggle. We struggle. Someone says to you, how are you? And you say, I'm fine. Liar. Right? But then, but then it gets worse. If, if, if you say, well, I'm not really fine, you see them go, <gasps> you know, because <laughs> they, they got somewhere they got to be. <laughs> this could take a while, right? The truth is, in the normal Christian life, we're not, we're not always fine. We're struggling. We're fighting something. We have these things, these preponderances, if you will. Uh, we, we come by them genetically, I think, sometimes. You know, you, some families have a, just a, they just have an anger problem in their family, right? Or, or uh, maybe, maybe, maybe as a family, they're just completely dismissive. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> if it don't affect me, then. Sh-. But the point is, as in the normal Christian life, we struggle against sin, and so what I'm saying here is that to have a soul-saving, to have soul-saving belief in Jesus is to have life-altering evidences both in the positive and in the negatives just because we struggle to me is one of the preeminent evidences of saving faith. Because you're struggling against it. You're fighting against it. You hate that you have a bad temper. You hate it. You literally, now you can go too far and hate yourself and get really bad off like that. <laughs> and, and that's another way sin cuts. Uh, or you're just like, I don't know why. I just don't care like I ought to care. I hate that I don't care. What's your problem? Well, I hate that I don't care like I ought to care because I don't care. But I ought to. And they're like, but, but these are outplays. You say, faith, I, just, I know God can. I just don't think he will. Or whatever it may be. We struggle, but see, to me, that's one of the preeminent evidences of saving faith is that Jesus is with you, compelling you forward, and when you've sinned against somebody or against God, and all sin is against God, you want to make it right. You want to be right. You want to repent of it. You want to get it off. You want a clean slate. You want nothing to offend, right? So take comfort when you're struggling against sin. Because what if you just went along with it? Oh yeah, I love Jesus. Embezzled a few million wall about a month ago and went into jail and uh, they kept me. 
But, you know, I rolled over everybody else. They let me go. And, and I'm a Christian. I attend this church, but I'm living with this gal. And uh, everything's fine. And uh, I'm good with it. Liar! It's not real. It's not real faith. It doesn't bother you. Does it bother you at all? <laughs> I mean, you know, we go, not at all. I'm really fine with it. You can't be fine with it and know him. Now, let's take the same person. Well, got thrown in jail. And I got, met this gal, and I'm in this thing, and I don't want to be, and I'm stuck, and I'm reaching out. Help, help, because I know I'm wrong. Okay, we can work with this. You see, I'd rather have that than that other thing. So does the Jesus you profess to know evidence with pow- the power of a changed life, a Christ-influenced life, a Christ, a Christ-influenced life? Because somebody's going to influence your life, right? We are imperfect vessels, you guys. We sin on a daily basis, and sometimes we're even shocked ourselves. Well, didn't set out today to do that, you know. <laughs> but Jesus is a very faithful Savior. The evidence of a changed life is not seen in its perfections. It's seen in its imperfections reaching forward to know Jesus more. That's, that's the real normal Christian life. The real Jesus bestows final confidence. So I would say this, of all the days in which men should fear, it's the day of judgment. Wouldn't you agree? Regardless of your chosen eschatological framework, everybody should have a bit of a ooh when they hear the day of judgment. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, Jesus says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He means that. Because He has appointed a day, because, now here's the because, because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. Now who's that? Does your Jesus that you believe in See, is he seen as, as also the judge who's going to judge the world? He has given assurance of this by all to all by raising him from the dead. Psalm ninety six thirteen. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. I think we got it. God's going to judge the world. And he's going to do it through Jesus. So Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What about that? Is that the Jesus you know? Because some people are like, my Jesus doesn't do that. He just sees my beauty. He just, just, he's just rainbows and skittles. I can't take the negative thoughts that Jesus would judge my sin. You laugh. But this is what's going on out there. But for the redeemed, here's, you want, okay, this, this should just, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. Therefore, Paul writes, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, that's the apostles being present, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Say what? Oh, Yeah that each one, each one of who? God's people. 
They're redeemed. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Say, what? I thought I got to get out of jail free card. Oh, no. You won't go to hell. No, no. You're safe from eternal torment and forever separated from God. But you have a Lord who gave you faith, who equipped you with spiritual gifts, who gave you His Word to study, to know Him more, to keep His commandments so that you know what you're supposed to do, and and you decided to go off and, you know, halfway do that in willful disobedience. So, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and He writes, I trust are well known in your conscience. Did you know there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ, or the judgment seat for us who are in Christ? It's called the Bema, and we will be there. And, and, and we're going to show up there, and, we're, and, and the Lord is going to roll out, however that works, what we did. What will I have to offer the Lord? Wood and hay and stubble, or gold and silver and precious stones? Do I have more disobediences? Or more obediences. And this is the struggle. And, and, and I can't tell you that. I can tell you the, the big difference between the two judgments. The great white throne judgment where God judges the wicked, unbelieving world. That's a bad one. <laughs> Terrifying. But for, the, for those who are in Christ, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be us. It, it, it's not so much fear as it is regret why didn't i why didn't i give more why didn't i why didn't i i saw them why didn't i offer to be a shoulder too to lean on why did i was pretty good at singing why didn't i sing and that god and why didn't i play my instrument or why didn't i teach i had such a burden to do so i was so busy building my life though See, now I don't know how all that's going to work out in the minutia. But clearly, it's going to be answered for. Because it says, good or bad. That's why we should pay really close attention to sanctification, you guys. Okay? Matthew, uh, I think this is Wearsby. The secret of our boldness is as he is so are we in this world positionally we are right now as he is we are so closely identified with christ as members of his body that our position in this world is like his exalted position in heaven this means that the father deals with us as he deals with his own beloved son how can we ever be afraid of him so remember we have boldness in the day of judgment right we're talking about the boldness unto condemnation we we're free we're going to heaven, man. We do not have to be afraid of the future because our sins were judged in Christ when he died on the cross. It's called imputed. The father cannot judge our sins again without judging his son for as he is, so are we in this world. We do not have to be afraid of the past because he first loved us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Oh, he is alive. If God loved us when we were outside the family, disobeying him, how much more does he love us now that we are his children? Does God love his children? Oh, he does. And he is going to sanctify us. 
It's going to happen. You can, you can mark it down, and that did come from Wiersbe. Lastly, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because he first loved of. And I, and I just want to finish off with this. The operative word here in this verse that codifies both verse 17 and 18 is the word perfect. It's a Greek word telos, and it means having reached its end, its completed work. The perfect love in which we stand is not merely an emotional feeling or a mental assessment. It's not that Jesus has done that so that I can think that. But the perfect love in which we stand is a person. His name is Jesus, and he is our great confidence. When we go out and we share our faith in March, and this is coming, one of the things that when in sharing your faith that you have to try to remember to do, and, and, and we always get put in those positions, caught off guard usually, and we're like, I wasn't ready. I wish I could have been ready. I'd have said this. I like to somehow pull in this. I believe in Jesus not because he was, because he is. And if you really want to see their eyes get big, say because he is right now here he's alive when you say he's alive they don't know what to do they don't know to run or throw up or they don't know what to do but when you say he's alive like with me now i I spoke with him this morning they don't i've heard from him today he's alive and they really don't know what to do with that but that's the reality it's not mental assessment Jesus fixed that for us you see he's our perfect love so do you have boldness in the day of judgment if you know Jesus you do you sure do now don't forget about the judgment seat of Christ he's giving you talents he doesn't want you to go burying them in the sand you'll have to work on that one but if you don't know Jesus I want you to know something if you're here and you don't know Christ, if you are, if you are lost in your sin and all you've got is religion, oh, know this. You should fear. You should be so afraid that your blood should turn cold. You should be so afraid that it should cause you to emotionally vomit for fear. Because what you're saying to God is, I This creature can do better. The audacity. And you will not fare well. For every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. So today, while it is day, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. But receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And cry out to Jesus, laying down your religion, laying down your sin, laying down all of your stuff, and cling to him and his righteousness. And and ask him to pardon you. As JT plays for a few moments, just to respond to today's message, whatever you need to do, take a few moments and you do that.